Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. On today's Australian Open Round 1 catch-up. Novak Djokovic gets deported. Barty and Osaka start strongly. And Andy Murray returns triumphantly in a five-set thriller. Kim, today is the 18th of January and we are here to catch up on round one at the Australian Open at Passing Shot HQ. How are you doing? We have finally, finally got some live tennis, some live Grand Slam tennis to talk about. We don't have to think about law courts and deportations any longer. We can actually focus on the live tennis. Exactly. We've gone from one court to another. I mean, on Saturday <laughs> night, I was thinking, should I stay up and watch the the court case? And when I did tune in, it was all very legal mumbo jumbo. And I thought, no, I really <laughs> should be going to bed. It's like 1am. Um, but now I'm, you know, wanting to stay up all night and watch the actual tennis um, and forcing myself to get some sleep. But um, yeah, it's been good. We've had some uh we've had some tennis we've had some good tennis I'm glad the Djokovic saga has ended sort of for now uh obviously there's still ongoing issues and speculation but he has left the country he went back to Serbia I'm sure Tennis Australia and everyone have sort of breathed a slight sigh of relief you know they're they're kind of not completely off the hook but for now that's sort of been you know nipped in the bud a little bit hasn't it yeah, it feels like now we can get on the tennis. We don't have to think about it anymore. And I know you were particularly excited because when Djokovic wasn't in the draw, obviously a lucky loser got his spot. And who was that lucky loser? It was one of the passing shot favourites, one of your favourites, Salvatore Caruso, uh, possibly the luckiest lucky loser spot ever in a Grand Slam, getting that number one, coveted number one seeding position. I mean, he didn't make he didn't make much of it, let's be honest. Lost in straight sets, I think, to Kekmanovic. But uh, yeah, it must have been a whirlwind of emotion seeing Djokovic get deported, Caruso getting a wild card. And then, to be honest, he had already gone out before I had actually realised that he was <laughs> back in the draw. Blink and you miss it. It'd be a big, be a good pub quiz question for the end of the mm. year. Like who benefited? But oh, it was a bit of a debacle because on that um, Sunday, you know, in Australia, obviously they were all waiting for the schedule. They didn't know when they would be playing or like if Caruso would even be in the draw or not. He was probably thinking, you know, make up your minds and give us a verdict because we need to know what we're doing. So probably didn't help maybe his his preparation. I don't, I don't know. But uh, I'm sure Djokovic won't be thinking too much about the impact of everything on Caruso. I mean, let's just touch on 
on that hearing, obviously, the federal court upheld the cancellation of Novak Djokovic's visa by uh, the immigration minister, Alex Hawke. So Djokovic has gone. Uh, I mean, as the law has it, he's currently banned from entry for three years into Australia, which would mean that he couldn't arrive back until the 2025 Australian Open when he would be, I think, around 38 uh, years of age. However, I think there's a lot of consensus that you know, he can apply next year to sort of uh, have that particular element of this decision revoked if there's grounds that, you know, he's not going to, I guess, cause a threat to public health anymore. Um, So it it may not come to that. But I think what's come to light since then as well is that a lot of speculation around what the French Open are now doing, that they may have to have a vaccine requirement as well. I think this weekend just gone the French Parliament approved a law that requires vaccination for you know people going to things like sports arenas um so that would probably make the french open follow the same path as as the ao but you know that hasn't i think fully been confirmed but that's going to throw djokovic into a right old quandary because he's either going to have to be vaccinated or you know try and get in on another sort of exemption and i mean good heavens we may have this whole saga again yeah i really hope to be honest, I really hope there aren't any exemptions because I just think it just clouds um, any sort of, uh, it just adds so much confusion, I think, to kind of the situation. And I think everyone, I think what we've learned from this whole debacle that's happened over the last few weeks is that we just want, we just want clarity. We want simplicity. We don't, we want no gray areas. And I think, you know, when you look at, the next Grand Slam with the French Open, I think those tournament organisers will be looking back at the Australian Open as a blueprint of how not to handle the kind of the vaccine debate. And I think that obviously the, the simplest way of, of making it really clear for everyone so that players can understand what they can do and what they stand to miss out on um, is, yeah, just have, make say, if you want to play Roland Garros, you must be vaccinated. There are going to be no exemptions and it'll be interesting to see how that develops over the next few months what Novak Djokovic decides I mean he's back in Serbia at the moment I guess trying to plan the rest of the season but that yeah must feel very up in the air at the moment given you know given the fact that he is unvaccinated what does that enable him to do we could very much feasibly be in a situation where because of this you know there might be in a weird way these (laughs) like two you know, two tours operating in the sense of, you know, there'll be one that is open to people who are vaccinated. And, you know, that is the majority of people, you know, out of the the top 100, I think that's, it accounts for like, not you know, 97%, I think, it's a figure I saw on, on Twitter the other day. But, you know, for those other three, you know, that, that tour might be kind of completely different. And, you know, for, for Novak Djokovic, that might mean that, that Grand Slams are off off the table if if you choose to remain unvaccinated and when you're in a race uh, against uh you know roger federer and rafael nadal um you know at 20 apiece at the moment in your career with with time ticking that's not a situation you want to be in is it well surely Djokovic is one you know remaining goal is yeah to, to win that grand slam race so grand slams are the only tournaments he really cares about and I mean, surely his his need and his hunger and his love to to be the greatest, you know, statistically in terms of number of slam titles won exceeds his antipathy towards the vaccine. I mean, I kind of feel that eventually he's going to have to get the vaccine unless his feelings about vaccinations are so strong that they come above his desire to make 
sporting history. Uh, I guess that's going to be something he might have to weigh up, weigh up in the next couple of months. It's going to be interesting. It just feels like we we just gonna have to wait and he will need to get he will need to get vaccinated in order to in order to compete at the very top in order to compete at the grand slams at the rest of the year he will need to be vaccinated and it will come down to i think you know how what does he believe in his his belief and his his values um you know as an as an individual his right or is it the you know the pursuit of of performance and you know i want to be the the greatest tennis player of all time and therefore i need as many grand slam titles as possible because as as you know kim as 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 these kind of tick by that's you know that's an opportunity missed and you know i think what's so glaring about the australian open is you know how dominant he has been there and you know it feels like this was a very much not necessarily an open goal because you know there are other people there obviously daniel medvedev zverev nadal but this felt very much like a, a big, big opportunity. I think a lot of people were expecting, you know, potentially him to go ahead in the race at, at the Australian Open. So, yeah, it's all going to come down to, I think, you know, what does he, you know, what does he believe in most? And is he able to, I don't know, <laughs> is he able to eat the humble pie and, and kind of take the vaccine and, and get on with it? And, and that is, you know, job done. Um, because at the moment, as you said, he's, he's not, uh, going to be in the Australian Open for the, the next three years. Uh, he's not going to be at the stands in the French Open, and that is going to limit his opportunities to to win Grand Slams. I mean, it would make it even more remarkable if it, it stayed like that, but it just it just doesn't feel right. And and as a fan, I don't I don't really want that situation to happen. You know, he is a a great competitor on the court. I want to see him on the court as much as possible, and I don't want you know vaccines and, and health to you know, mandates and all of that sort of to to get in the way with it. But, you know, given the you know, given the world that we're living in now, it feels like, you know, that's that's the state of play at the moment. I bet some other players, you know, like Medvedevs and Sitsapasses of the world are probably thinking, oh, if only like I mean this is this is a great <laughs> opportunity for everyone else. If Novak isn't able to play these slams and he decides not to whatever, um, you know, I bet a lot of other players are thinking, oh our chance has finally come, you know. Well, I mean, it's a Kim. It's a great opportunity for someone in his quarter. Um, you know, the, the draw had already been made. Um, yes, Medvedev is the, the, in theory, the top seed. Uh, you know, at the bottom, but that top quarter is absolutely open to anyone. It feels like, um, you know, to potentially make the semi-finals or, or even further. Um, it feels like the other other three quarters. It's it's sort of you could. It's a little bit easier, I think, to guess, but that first one is is blown wide open, and you know one of the I think direct implications of the fact that he was so dramatically pulled out was the fact is the fact that you know who's going to make the most of this opportunity, who's going to make the most of that opportunity in that top quarter, who's going to make the most of that opportunity in potentially winning, um, you know, winning uh, the Australian Open. It's it remains to be seen, but it certainly opened up. You know, to his you know disadvantage, it's certainly I think going to be to some players in in the draw their advantage. Yeah, because I think Rublev could have become the the you know been moved up because he was the fifth seed, but it was too late in the day to do that. So, uh, yeah, you do have this sort of gaping open bit at the top of the draw. I think Monfils is the, like the highest uh, seed in that section, so you know perhaps this will be a great chance for Monfils to go deep at a slam again. Yeah, I mean, I, I would love to see that. I mean, he's playing great at the moment. I mean, he what he won in, I think, straight sets today. Um, so you know, it's 
yeah, it's just going to be, it's just, a, it's just been a wild ride and I'm sure, you know, it's going to continue, but for now we can, we can focus on the tennis and Kim, should we, should we move on to the tennis? Cause we've got a lot to talk about. We've got day one and day two, we've got our collector set nominations as well to, uh, to go through as well as the order of play for day three. Should we, should we start with, with day two? Yeah, let's start with, I guess, the last match that that finished on day two, which was Emma Raducanu against Sloane Stephens. And uh, it's quite an interesting match. I think this one surprised many of us. I think a lot of people actually had Sloane Stephens down to win this one. Just based on what we've seen from Emma Raducanu since she won the US Open, since she, you know, got blasted off the court last week by Elena Rabakina. Um, you know, gosh, Emma came out of the blocks uh, insanely well today. Six love in 17 minutes, uh, absolute demolition in that first set. And I was just thinking, oh, maybe, you know, this is Grand Slam mode. Like maybe she's just going to get back into that year. The old Emma is back. The old Emma is back. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it wasn't quite um, as comfortable, obviously. Sloane Stevens took that second set, 6-2, and then Emma. The new Emma is here. The new Emma is here. (laughs) <laughs> but um I mean yeah I'm glad she overcame that hurdle because that is not a good draw is it getting you know another US Open champion in your first round um you know first time that she's played the the AO as well so I'm really pleased that she came through that one she's got a an easy well on paper an easier match next round as well Danka Kovinic um and then I think it would be Halep in the third round so uh yeah we just have to I think take it a match at a time I don't think I'm going to get ahead of myself and think she could do another US Open job again I think like this is a very pleasing result but I'm not going to get too ahead of myself yeah I think what was so pleasing about this performance and what I think surprised me was that she just it just feels like when she's on a big court with a big audience she always seems to to rise to the occasion and you know she won in in three sets today and you know it's not always going to be plain sailing it's not it's not ever going to be I feel like that US Open run again it's not going to be like walking through the qualifying walking through the main draw without dropping a set there are going to be challenges and when you face you know players like Sloane Stevens, who is a grand you know US Open Grand Slam champion um, there are going to be you know hurdles to overcome and it was really impressive I think to see her bounce back so comprehensively in that in that third set after that second set wobble because you know I think she is a player who I think has tremendous belief and tremendous confidence but I think you know she has been short of of match practice re- recently and I think I think actually both players both players were and, and maybe that's why they were only able to kind of seize the momentum in in bits you know Radicanu with the first set blitz but then Stevens kind of coming back before Radicanu kind of asserting her control again but it just feels that Radicanu and, and Grand Slam tennis it's it's a match made in heaven at the moment isn't it because it's that's 11 consecutive wins at, at, at slams and if you compare her you know for now you know of her at, you know in Grand Slams versus her in the WTA tour it feels like they're they're different people. Yeah, I think there's like two Emmas going on. But, you know, mm. the WTA Tour is maybe I mean, she why just do you think is that? one of those. Why do you think that? Well, I mean, some players do just rise to the occasion. They prefer the big stage. They prefer that um, that setting. And they do struggle when, you know, perhaps it's a, a budget tournament somewhere with, you know, one man and their dog watching. Um, not that I don't think Emma would ever only have that unless it was because no fans are actually allowed. But... Yeah, I think, um, you know, she's still so new to it all. And she's actually 
you know, got more experience, I guess, at Grand Slams than she does on the tour. So she probably maybe feels more comfortable there. I don't know. It's it's a strange one, isn't it? It's just bizarre. Um, but yeah, I think it's sensible just to like she's looking at all of this, you know, her whole career, every match as a learning curve. And I think that's how, you know, fans and pundits and everyone should look at it as well. You know, she's learning as she goes and that's all you can do at such a tender age. Um, I mean, from the other side of the coin, Joel, we had, you know, earlier this morning, Andy Murray coming through as well. Um, you know, very different story, you know, at the sort of twilight of his career back from an almost retirement on this very court three years ago when he uh, lost to RBA. And, you know, this time round he uh, beat Nicholas Basilashvili in five sets today. I mean, classic Andy Murray at Grand Slams at the moment. I don't think he's had a straight sets win at a Grand Slam uh, for for many, many years. You know, we kind of come to expect it's going to be a, you know, four or five sets of these days at, at Slams. And obviously, Basilashvili Basilashvili <laughs> is a is you know can be a very quality opponent and they obviously had a, a very recent uh, long match in Sydney and played at Wimbledon last year so I mean what did you make of Andy today do you think do you think he's got enough left in the tanks it's quite a, mm. a long match today obviously he had re- reached the final in Sydney are yeah. you worried for his next match at all he might not yeah, have enough I, left I, I do I do wonder about the players who went deep in the you know, the warm-up events to the Australian Open because we saw, you know, day one, Karatsev went, had to go five hours on court. He only had one day off, I think, from, uh, you know, travelling from Sydney to Melbourne. We saw Kokinakis, who, you know, was a champion in one of the warm-up events, I think, was in Adelaide, potentially. Um, he lost in, in the first round. So I was a bit fearful for Andy because, you know, we know, you know, we know that you know he's had his injury troubles over the year, years in terms of his body. You know whether fitness was was going to be uh, an issue, um, and I just wondered whether you know Basashvili. Yes, he he did lose to Murray last week, but I just wondered whether you know he was going to be able to kind of get revenge, uh, given that you know he he lost to him as well at, at Wimbledon last year. But yeah, it was really impressive, I think, to see Murray come through in five sets. It's a little bit of another, you know, fairy tale story, given, you know, the last feeling he would have had on this court, you know, three years ago at the Australian Open, that, you know, that feeling that, you know, he might have retired, seeing that, you know, that now awkward and infamous video that, that came up on the screen with all the other players sort of thanking him for, you know, his, his, you know, his career, but it, it feels a completely, we feel a completely different world away. And it's, it's just so positive, I think, to see, you know, this Andy Murray back on the court. Cause we're not at the moment, we're not talking about his body. We're not talking about his metal hip. And when we're talking about it in a positive way, we're not talking about it as a, a hindrance. And, you know, against someone like Bastashvili, he just played so, so well, um, you know, coming through, you know, in, in five sets. Yes, there are a couple of blips there. He still is losing too many tie breaks for my liking, Kim. I feel like he could have got it done in four. And I, I did wonder, you know, whether he, once he lost that four set, whether it was going to run away from him, from him from a little bit. But, you know, the fact that he's got, I think, you know, so much kind of um, experience to kind of draw upon and great memories as well, I think, from Melbourne, a place that he he loves to play. I think that's, that is kind of what got him through. And um, yeah, faces, faces Taro Daniel in the next round. Yeah, Taro Daniel, I, don't know too much about him. I've I've seen his name in many a draw sheet, but never really watched him. Uh, I think he's 120 in the world. So, I mean, that's, you know, currently a sort of similar ranking to Andy, of course. But um, 
yeah, Japanese player, about 28 years old. Um, I don't really know what to expect, but I just, I have this sense that Andy should beat him. And I think, you know, would usually, but I don't think we can take that as a, as a gimme. Um, so again, a match at a time, but I would love to see Murray against Sinner in the third round. So obviously really hoping that Andy can, can come through and, and just take it. Um, straight sets we need a straight we need we a straight sets win we do need that I think his body needs that we all need it I'm sure Murray fans would rather have that and not you know the Murray coaster that they've been going on <laughs> that you guys have all been going on so much <laughs> I mean his his last straight sets win was against Benoit Pair at Wimbledon in 2017 um I mean that's Kim just to tell you how long ago that is Benoit Pair did get to a fourth round of a, of a Grand Slam um which, which doesn't feel like it has happened recently, although he is in the second round here. Um, but yeah, I hope, I hope from, you know, Andy Murray, I think, you know, if he does want to kind of cause a stir and, and make people think, Ooh, where, you know, where, you know, how far can and how deep can he go in the tournament? I do think he's going to need to be able to kind of close these matches out, you know, and have as little kind of court time. Um, as as possible and I think you know as I said with with a qualifier like Taro Daniel on on the court next in round two I think that's you know for him yes uh, you obviously want him to win but I think that is a good opportunity for him to get on the court you know three sets get off the court and then hopefully you know look forward to potentially a round three match against Yannick Sinner easier said than done and maybe I'm thinking about you know that's what I think the Andy Murray of old would would probably potentially think but I certainly think with the the way he's playing and and the confidence and the belief that he has I think that he should really be looking to get the job done against you know a, a qualifier and kind of in a sort of a dismissive fashion to kind of put a you know a statement win together I think. Yeah, and one thing that was quite strange in his match today on, on the John Kane Arena was the uh, what he thought was pe- people in the crowd booing, but was actually a sort of um, Cristiano Ronaldo style sort of celebration. Stew. Yeah, yeah, I, I've never heard this before, but. <laughs> They were all saying Sue instead, which obviously sounds like people booing. And they were doing that in the Kyrgios match, which was uh, followed. And that was Kyrgios against Liam Brody, of course. And um, I mean, this was a classic kind of Kyrgios, you know, showing up on the John Kane arena. He did a an between the legs underarm serve in his first service game. Just absolute classic Nick Kyrgios. Um, you know, it was a fairly entertaining affair. Straight sets, just, you know, pretty much a break in each set. And Annoyingly, the first two sets, Liam got broken in, in his first service game. So um, kind of always playing catch up, really. But um, I mean, Kyrgios has got Medvedev next, which I expect will be also entertaining. But I do expect Medvedev will will come through and, and kind of put Kyrgios. Well, in I want to say place? in his place. I mean, Kyrgios has a leading head to head. He's never lost to Medvedev. But I think, you know, that was before Medvedev became a Grand Slam champion. I think Medvedev's a, a different kettle of fish these days i think that fast that that encounter is going to be fascinating because we all know how medvedev and the crowd react or, or how they don't react so i think it's yeah it's going to be interesting to see how medvedev as well as curios engage with the crowd in that match because yeah this this match was i think like a, a wild ride yeah it felt exhibitiony at times you know underarm serving through the leg shots as well it was great to see you know liam brody just reached the the main draw um of a grand slam you know it meant we saw in the end of you know qualifying how much it meant to him kind of dropping 
to his knees and um you know he, he's obviously playing some really really good tennis at the moment i thought he put in a, a very decent performance against nick curios who again just showed you know how much talent he has particularly with so many free points he can get on his serve he's always going to be dangerous you do wonder i think around you know his fitness um you know he spoke quite candidly about the fact that you know he's had coronavirus recently and that left him him bedridden for a few days um he was fortunate that you know where he was isolating he did have a a tennis court to to practice some you know practice some serves on but you do have to wonder if he does get pushed into you know a, a fourth uh or you know a fifth or you know the conditions are really really punishing you know what what effect that is going to have on Kyrgios but you know at the same time you know as always you, you do wonder if you know the crowd certainly you know love him and and will galvanize him and uh you know we'll probably give him a pint of beer as well which um you know he, he gladly took um at the end of the, the Liam Brody match as he walked off yeah I, how often do we see that yeah I mean all the Aussie guys <laughs> that must absolutely he must be there like spirit mm. idol I feel um <laughs> yeah no I mean this classic Kyrgios and like you said recently had COVID I mean quite a few players have recently had COVID like Seb Corder um you know obviously Emma Raducanu so it does sort of make it interesting you don't often know I guess it depends how badly they had it how it affected their training but some might actually you know bounce back really quickly others you know will obviously take longer to kind of get into the groove so it throws a new sort of element of uh intrigue I suppose I mean not that we want this element of intrigue but you know it's it's affected quite a few players hasn't it in different ways but um I mean talking about let's just touch upon the other British players we had a lot in action today on day two Dan Evans did a very business-like job came coming through against David Goffin straight sets very very easy stuff I think Goffin was still struggling with with this injury um you know six love in the last set so Dan Evans through to the next round very solid starts to his season um and this was a bit of a surprise Joel Heather Watson (laughs) winning (laughs) in the first round of a Grand Slam against Maya Sharif I was fully expecting her to lose in a last set tie break or some kind of epic you know scoreline like that but she came through 6-2 in the third set I know amazing I I think I I messaged one of my friends saying oh my god this is this is not a drill Heather Watson has won um, you know a match in three sets I think she hit I was hearing on the radio she hit 40 winners as well um which was very very impressive and you know I think you know she's here you know without a coach um I think she parted ways with Alex Ward um who I think has moved on to coaching Katie Swan in in December so you know she's out here without a coach but it doesn't seem to be you know in, impacting her at the moment I think you know she speaks about the fact that you know she is a player that doesn't you know there are some players out there who of course you know they need a coach to kind of set the the parameters and give them something to to aim at but you know I think with with Watson you know she's talking about you know I have a great support team around me and you know I have uh you know a very good setup um you know I can call upon my friends uh you know I've got my kind of sort of consultants in Florida I think she was talking about and you know it's it's working obviously it's working kind of dividends for her and you know Maya Sharif I think is a player who certainly I think is was there for you know was there was a you know that was a winnable first round match you know I think Sharif is a player who who I think have wins a lot of matches but they're not necessarily at the you know the the WTA tour level um and I think for Watson who you know has plugged away 
yes, there's been many kind of, I think, first round, uh, you know, losses, for example, but certainly I think the experience she has on the, the WTA tour and, and the caliber of opponents she's playing, even though she's not necessarily winning all the time, I think that puts her in good stuff when she comes up against these players who actually are more comfortable, I think, with, you know, playing in the the one two five events and the challenger events, for example. So, yeah, it was really pleasing to see her, you know, come through in that that final set because, as I said, she normally we've already kind of normally seen, I think, in the past with her at Grand Slams that you know she gives a good account of herself in the first set, but it's sort of just you know fall, falls away from her and you know, either loses in three or it, it might be a tight two set battle. So, you know, to win it after the the disappointment of of dropping that second set, yeah, was really pleasing to see. Yeah, and it's the first time that Britain have got more than one uh, female and male player into the second round. So obviously got two men, two women, uh, Murray, Evans, Watson and Raducanu through. So really nice stuff. Uh, first time that's happened in about five years at the AO. Obviously, Harriet Dart uh, had a terrible draw against Igor Sviontek, um and only, I think, lost uh, only won three games. So she does, I think Dart does get a few... Um, bad first rounds when yeah. she does qualify i think she had sharapova didn't she uh and then hallet she's had and awful awful yeah. qualifier draws um oh, she's qualified Harriet. three times and remember I, I i mean i remember i think that australian open was her, her main draw grand slam debut against sharapova she lost love and love i think it was like the first match on first match off in and out within like you know 40 minutes or something and yeah she doesn't she doesn't seem to have a good time of it I think when she is a as a, is a qualifier at the, at the Australian Open and I think you know I think what I think for her you know I think it should fuel her motivation to you know get her ranking up to get in the main draw automatically so she she doesn't have to go through you know that slog of of you know three qualifiers and then you know being at the mercy of where that you know where you're placed as a qualifier um, and I certainly, you know, I've said on the pod before, I've said, you know, she's got the ability to to rise up the rankings and, and do that. And, you know, again, against um, Iga Sviontek, I think, you know, she started, you know, she started well, wasn't able to, you know, maintain it. And, she, you know, Sviontek just ran away with it. But, but certainly I think this season, Harriet Dark can look to, again, push up the rankings and, you know, be a bit of a, I think, in that Katie Balter space of, yeah, being a bit more of a mainstay presence, I'd like to, I'd like to say on the, you know, on the WTA tour. Yeah, hopefully, um, I will, you know, keep Harriet in our in our mm. passing short thoughts and prayers that that will happen because <laughs> I would love to see her. I'd love to see her. Yeah, like consistently getting into the events. It's just getting there, isn't it? It's so difficult. There's so many players vying for that like position, and it's just so mm. tough. I mean, getting into the the top hundred, I think, is probably the first port of call but yeah certainly I think when it comes to the grand slams and the 128 person draw yeah she I think she should be one of the ones already in there as opposed to you know having to go go and go and qualify for it I mean, just while we're on the subject of British players I know this was a match from day one but Cam Norrie uh up against Seb Corder only won seven games you know out in straight sets uh and this is you know Cam Norrie who obviously last year was Super consistent, won Indian Wells, played at the World Tour Finals, you know, 12th seed here. This is obviously not how he, he envisaged his Australian Open going. Um, it's a right shame. He didn't play very well. I think he said it was the worst match he'd played probably, you know, in the last year, I guess. Um, Seb called a tough draw, you know, 
just just coming back from from COVID, uh, which you know meant he couldn't, you know, probably hasn't been on court much of late. But what did you make of what did you make of this? I mean, obviously Laurie will be very disappointed. I think as British fans were disappointed, but I I think Corder, you know, could Corder go on a bit of a run here? You know, he's he's gone he's got to fourth round of slams before that. This could be the start of of another another run, perhaps. Yeah, I think Corder was a little bit of an unknown quantity, and he maybe perhaps surprised himself with with how well he played um you know he won the you know the next gen finals he's been in good form but as you said he had covid i think he was in isolation in his hotel so i saw on social media he was hitting the ball against the wall and uh, it awkwardly hit him in the nether regions um in like a comical comical sort of way but um yeah on 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 the court yeah he was just he was just too good against cam norrie and i i do wonder if if cam norrie season his breakout season last season you know has caught up with him a little bit um you know at the start of this season yes he is also um you know he had coronavirus over the off season he had he didn't in his interview blame that as as the reason why he's not had a a great start but i think you know he's played four four singles matches lost them all um he's not quite at the races at the moment and you know the fact that you know he won over 50 matches last season uh, played lots of tournaments I think he's going to need to, you know, I think he's going to need to kind of scale his, you know, the picks and chooses a little bit more. I think that the tournaments that he plays um, so that he doesn't feel potentially so jaded, um, you know, further down the line. Because I do think potentially this is a an impact of of how much tennis he played last season and the fact that the, the off season is so short. I think also, you know, he's got Indian Wells coming up quite soon. You know, he'll be defending mm. his title. And I guess you've just got that that pressure on you, haven't you? And no one, I think, is expecting him to defend his title. So I would hope that he doesn't feel that pressure too much. But, you know, it, it's it's harder, isn't it, to, to stay at that ranking after you've had that breakout season. It's the second season, like, syndrome. You know, it's it's really difficult. You've got so many more points to defend. So I think it's inevitable his ranking will decline somewhat. But I think if he can finish, well... I'm talking about finishing the year already, but if he can kind of just think like, let's not think about that too much. As long as his ranking is there or thereabouts to get him like to stay in the seedings, I think, you know, it, it's perhaps inevitable. It might go down somewhere. It's, it's so hard to, to back it up. And just a note, Joel, I have to correct you on your next gen finals. Uh, it was actually Carlos Alcaraz who won the next gen finals. Oh, apologies. Next gen not- final. <laughs> Nation finalist, corner. yes. Sorry, finalist. Yeah. Anyway, just uh, you know, got got to throw got to throw that in there. But um, I mean, let's just go back to what else uh, we saw today at the Australian Open. A couple of women's matches. Uh, I mean, there were some very straightforward wins for Simona Halep and Annette Contevate. I think Contevate in particular, she played Sinyakova, which could have been quite a tricky match. But obviously, Contevate, you know, she's now the sixth seed. She had that epic run at the end of last season. Um, she, you know, played really, really well, and I, it seems that her good form is is continuing. So I'm, you know, I feel like I haven't, we haven't really spoken much about her in the the build up or in our preview episode. But again, good opening from her and Simona Halep, who came through against Magdalena Freck. Uh, but two seeds that did struggle was uh, Elena Rabakina and Arena Sabalenka. Rabakina had to save a match point to overcome Zarina Diaz. Um, it was two tie breaks and then 6-1 in, in that third set. I think she's struggling still with that injury that did knock her out of um, the Sydney event when she pulled out after having beaten uh, Emma Raducanu. But, um, so I'm not sure if she's going to be able to fulfil my 
my predictions of making the final, sadly. Uh, but Sabalenka, she was playing Storm Sanders, you know, Australian wildcard. Um, her serving was abysmal at times. Uh, she 12 double fought. She was down a set and a break. Genuinely thought she could be on the way out, but she did manage to to battle back to uh, to come through. But yeah, Sabalenka's just not in good form at the moment, is she? No, not at all. Um, yeah, it was a bit bit painful to watch at times and again she's gonna she's 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 using the Australian Open I think to you know and it's not a position I don't think any tennis player wants to be in. she's using the she's using the Grand Slam at the moment to you know make sure or, or she's finding out on court as she goes um you know her her serve again I think and you know it, it will probably click at some point and she's hoping it's it's sooner rather than later but it's it's not the position you want to be and she very easily could have um very easily could have gone out um you know today having been a, a set and a breakdown but you know she lives to fight another day um one player that doesn't a- apply to though is angelique kerber who lost to i think everyone's you know most feared uh, round one opponent kaya kanepi um who is now 14 and 22 versus seeds in the opening two rounds of a slam so really really dangerous player she's won seven of those wins against top 16 seeds as well she beat kerber 6-4-6-3 um kvitova also lost to kostea six two six two i think kvitova's having a bit of injury troubles at the moment i think with her wrist um so not really kind of big surprise there layla layla fernandez going out um you know talking about you know u.s open u.s open finalists in in abo radicanu layla fernandez uh the 23rd seed went out to um madison inglis of australia six four six two which was a bit of a bit of a surprise in terms of again how um you know how in terms of that scoreline, doesn't feel very competitive. I was uh, looking a bit of the highlights. There were a lot of errors from Fernandez, who, yeah, had, just didn't seem to be at the races. Her game just wasn't there. So, yeah, that was a bit of a, a surprise. But you know, Madison Inglis, to her credit, did play very, very well. I think she definitely played above her 133 ranking. Yeah, and you know, it's nice for the Australian fans to have like a, a surprise win for one of their wildcard players. You know, just think how we'd be at Wimbledon if if that was I don't know someone uh, you know Katie a Swan. Harriet Dark, a Katie Swan, <laughs> a, a, you know Francesca Jones, whatever you know, and Fernandez perhaps feeling the pressure a bit. You know, U.S. Open finalist, she's now you know up in there in the seedings and just too many mistakes today and uh, Inglis played a great match and um now that her and Kerber uh, are out of that section of the draw it's kind of opened up quite a bit um so you could have someone like a Kanepi or or Madison Inglis potentially going through to the fourth round I mean Caroline Garcia was in this section of the draw oh, but she kid. lost she lost to Hayley Baptiste so you know very frustrating uh her singles woes continue she's back with Mladenovic in the double so I'm kind of intrigued to see what they're going to do together again um and sad for Angelique Kerr because obviously she had quite a good season last year and it was her birthday today so uh she came all this way to uh get a first round defeat on her birthday <laughs> that is not how you want to spend your birthday is it um okay before we go to an ad break we just need to pick up on one hilarious moment that did happen today on the men's side Alex de Menor, he played a point with his shoe off. He tweeted about it afterwards. Um, it was just quite funny, wasn't it? Um, 
I I thought it would have been a let, but it, it they just played on and Demonor, you know, he came through that match against Massetti in in four sets. But uh, yeah, he he must what does he need Velcro? He needs to tie his shoelaces tighter. Um, yeah, he needs to make sure his shoes stay on. I think <laughs> it's, it's priority for the next round. There's a great photo though of him like playing the shot and his shoe is just like <laughs> behind him on the court and he's just got one sock on. Maybe he just wanted to boast like. Look, look here, Massetti. I can play tennis with one shoe on. <laughs> I mean, I think it would be quite an entertaining thing to try, but it would probably cause many injuries because <laughs> you just have like no support and you'd be really off balance. But um, yeah, I thought that was an entertaining moment. Yeah, I was surprised that they didn't play a let, but I think because he just carried on and got on with it and what have you. I think this was in a weird spell of the match where I turned over actually because I was watching the Kyrgios match. I turned over to see what was going on with this. And um, he... Alex de Menor threw in about two like really terrible games, which allowed Massetti, I think, to to break back temporarily. And um, I thought, oh, uh, we could, you know, be on for be on. For, I mean, this could be a, a great epic match, and Emma Raducanu might be coming onto court, you know, gone midnight. But it wasn't to be. I think, you know, Alex de Menor got the better of, of Massetti, um, which was a bit of a shame because I'm quite a fan of Massetti, I have to say. But um, you know, ADM coming quiet. through, he has since that that Djokovic French Open. Yeah, uh, when he was two sets up, wasn't he? And mm. he's cut, he's cut his hair, didn't he? He used to have sort of longer, mm. longer locks. It's gone a bit short. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, and also Casper Ruud, uh, unfortunately, has had to withdraw from the tournament with an ankle injury. So I think this was the section that he um, was in. So perhaps Alex de Menor is someone who can perhaps benefit from from Casper Ruud's uh, sad withdrawal. But we shall see what occurs with that. Um, let's. Let's take a quick break now, uh, but let's come back in the second half. We'll be having a look at what happened on day one of the Australian Open. So do not go anywhere. Welcome back to The Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. And now we're going to move on to day one of the Australian Open. Uh, Monday at uh, Melbourne Park, Joel. And let's let's start off with my personal favourite, um, Marcus Chiron. No, uh, Rafael Nadal. <laughs> uh, Rafael Nadal, he played Marcus Chiron and had a very straightforward match. Came through 6-1, I just was so pleased to see Rafa back on court. You know, he's had a long, long injury layoff. And he said afterwards, you know, it's been very, very tough. Probably his toughest, you know, comeback, I think, from injuries, you know, his, because of his age and everything. Um, and he maybe really doubted that he would be here uh, competing at the Australian Open. So, um, yeah, just for, for, for Rafa fans and, you know, it's just such a lovely moment to see him back on a tennis court at a Grand Slam again. Yeah. And arguably, you know, he's potentially in position to benefit the most from, you know, Novak Djokovic's withdrawal. You know, he's the only one of the, you know, the big three there. He would have potentially faced... Novak Djokovic in the semi-finals so the fact that one of his key competitors isn't in the draw and the way he's playing at the moment um yeah that it's it feels very very promising uh you know at the moment for him um I would like to see him tested I think uh, you know at at some point because he's not really been tested so far um and I know you would love for him to just kind of walk through the the competition straight set after straight set victory but um yeah it will um I'm sure there will be greater tests to come he faces German qualifier Yannick Hanfman in the next round. Now, this was a bit of a surprise because um, Hanfman beat 
Adelaide champion Tanasi Kokinakis six two six three six two. I just think Kokinakis just. I mean, I think he just ran out of steam before the match even started. Um, you know, it's great to see him uh, winning titles again. Um, and you know that was a you know that would have been a really special moment for him, given uh, you know all the injuries that he's and setbacks that he's had um, over the years. But um, yeah, I think he'll be a little bit disappointed in terms of um, you know how he came on the court against Hampton. I don't know if his his preparation was hindered or you know his his body was just low low on on energy. Um, but yeah, it felt it felt very surprising um, that you know with you know the crowd crowd behind him, he wasn't able to you know, to get over a line against a German qualifier. Well, I think just, you know, Adelaide was actually his his first tour title. So um, he's just back, not back to winning titles, just winning a title. Um, and it was his home tournament and it's, you know, been such a difficult journey. And I think we do see this quite a lot when players do really well in that, that week before. And sometimes they just have expended everything and it, it comes to the slam and they're just kind of overcooked and... Um, I think that's probably what happened in this situation. And it's it's a real shame because I think everyone was thinking, oh, yeah, Kokonakis, Nadal, second round. That would be great if Kokonakis is in, you know, good form. But, you know, it is the the way it is. Um, I think he's due to play doubles with, with Kyrgios. So I think, you know, I'm sure that will be entertaining for everyone out and about on site um, watching those two play. Um, is there a curse, I mean, of, you know, people who play... In in the build up events and and I guess if you're Kokinakis, would you have preferred to just would you take winning you know your first ATP title at the expense of doing well um, you know at Grand Slam potentially reaching you know second round or or, or the third round because yeah I think there's as, there's that sort of classic I think ultimate ultimatum that that players need to make with regards to those build up events because they are opportunities to win to win titles and you know particularly because you know not everyone is going to play the you know in the the immediate preceding week to a grand slam but at the same time it it, it could hamper your you know your chances of, of going deep getting more ranking points getting bigger prize money um you know at playing at a grand slam i mean for someone like okanakis i would absolutely have done what he did which was to play the two warm up events in his home city and mm. go out know, in a blaze of glory you could he could have been due to play Novak Djokovic in the first round of the Australian yep. Open and then just you know because you might as well make the most of tennis events being you know in your home city and country and get get more matches there at the smaller events I think I would if I was him I would absolutely take my first t- tour title in my home city over just getting to like the second round of the AO which he's done before you know so um that that's that's my opinion on, on that one I mean Karatsev obviously won Sydney he Obviously, we mentioned earlier, took five hours, five sets to get past Jaume Munar. Um, so he's still on to potentially play Rafa in the fourth round. Um, I did think, oh, maybe Munar was going to pull off a big uh, upset mm. there. But uh, it was, wasn't to be. I thought, you know, fellow Mallorcan. Yeah, he was unlucky, I thought. He he played really, really well. Um, you know, he threatened on, on multiple times, I think, to, un- uh, you know, usurp Karatsev, who... Uh, you know, I said earlier. He, I think he was the only player um, who played in in a final of of a build up event. I think in Sydney, he had one day off, and then he was back on the court. Um, you know, Melbourne Park. So that is you know fair play. That is a big 
take that takes a big effort um to do that turnaround uh, i do love this stat game he won that match with over a hundred unforced errors i think he hit 106 unforced errors which must be that must be some kind of record um but very 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 impressive to win a match having hit over a century um yeah of 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 unforced errors i mean fellow sydney champion paula bedosa is still in the draw as well she beat tom Janovic, so uh she also would only have had you know 36 hours as, as i think kokonakis did it is a very tight turnaround if they had a few more days or were playing on the tuesday would would be better but you can't always <laughs> choose that can you i mean um in terms of the other men's matches from the day one you know zverev came through berrettini came through with a bit of difficulty i think berrettini had some uh some bowel movements going on um so uh yeah hopefully he's resolved all of that for uh for the next round but um monfis as well good win over Correa. Um, Carlos Alcarez coming through. You know, he's one of our collector sets. Everyone talking about the muscle shirt that he's wearing. Showing he's off beefed the... up. He has. He, yeah. he has beefed up considerably. Has I mean, it feels like early... I don't know if they're using like early days Rafa. That's that's the... <laughs> as a sort of blueprint but that's the that's the impression i got because yeah he's he's his arms specifically um have have grown in size kim and you know it'll be interesting to see you know how that translate to on court you know in terms of you know extra extra k's on his serve extra k's on his, his ground strokes because you know if he can add a bit more speed and a little bit more oomph to his game he's going to become even more of a a, a dangerous threat uh, across the season yeah i mean it's hard not to compare isn't it to to rafa when he was sort of at, at carlos alcaraz's age and you know without wanting to pigeonhole him to, him into that that vein it's it's hard not to when when he comes out wearing you know wearing those shirts but um we also had Shapovalov and Herkash come through as well so um no I would say major upsets at all in the men's draw so far um I mean I would say even on the women's side we haven't really had any major upsets have we I think all of the seeds that lost like today Again, I don't think any of them are that surprising. Um, I mean, yesterday, Barty and Asaka came through uh, very comfortably. Uh, you know, nice to see Asaka, you know, defending her title, opening up her defence against uh, Camilla Osorio Serrano. Um, 6-3, 6-3, seeming to be in a much, much better place, uh, much more relaxed and, uh, you know, back in business after after her timeout. Um and uh, now that Onjabur is out of that section as well, she's had to withdraw from the event. Feel like Osaka's, yeah, I think she'll be fairly comfortable with her initial few rounds at, at the very least. And I, you know, her on a hard court on a, at a Grand Slam, it's it is hard to uh, to bet against her, isn't it? Yeah, and I mean both both how Barty and Osaka dealt with their. Um their opposition in in round one i mean barty you know won love and one i think i think it just it just asserted the i think what we already knew about the fact that those two are playing some very very good hard court tennis and are going to be two of the you know two of the favorites um you know for the for the title and you know sort of makes me sad that you know potentially they might meet um so early on in in round four so you know we will wait to see if that crash does happen but um you know, the early signs are, you know, they are playing some very, very good tennis and that could create, uh, you know, one hell of a match in the, in the fourth round. I mean, Kim, we just need to talk about 
Sophia Kennan and Coco Goff because both those players did go out and, you know, Kennan was facing uh, Madison Keys, who, you know, I think has had her, you know, has had her struggles, I think, over the last, you know, last several months. Uh, Keys coming through 7-6-7-5 to reach the second round. Um, Yeah, it was... Yeah, not. I mean, we had, we had earmarked that as a you know as a potential obstacle for Kenin, and I'm not totally surprised that she lost. You know, Madison Keys is a very, very, very strong competitor on her day. Um, so yeah, it was great. I think to see Madison Keys finally kind of get back and get out there and and show that she can do it because we've not really seen that much of her. I feel over the last um, you know you know obviously at the start of this season and and most of last season to be honest yeah I mean she's just won Adelaide so obviously coming in with with good form and I don't think Kennan played badly in this match you know it was a close match um so I think at least Sophia Kennan can take um comfort from that she's probably been playing better than she was here 12 months ago but just coming up against an informed Madison Keys who is currently you know 51 in the world but really should be ranked a lot higher you know she's reached a Grand Slam final before and we know that on her day she is a very very difficult opponent to beat so um, I don't think that yeah it's not a surprise and I think I was expecting in I was expecting that result to be quite honest I mean I didn't think Coco Goff would lose though I mean she had uh Chong Wong um which you know I think Chong Wong had that win over was Serena, it Serena Williams. Williams here yep. so you know has history at this event but just I think the manner of the of the defeat 6-4-6-2 you know Coco Goff had um reached the semi-finals in Adelaide so seemed to be playing quite well at the start of the season but just you know she said she just didn't 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 perform well on the day you know bad day at the office uh simple as that really yeah particularly particularly in that second set she hit 21 of 38 total unforced errors in that second set um yeah again not not very pretty not really sure yeah was a little bit surprised I mean I think I had her foolishly now uh in my predictions uh to get to the semi-finals because because of her form in the you know last couple of weeks even even in that loss against Ash Barty she showed um you know what you know how i think well her level can be at but um yeah it just didn't seem to come together you know there were questions around whether you know the conditions were a little bit different to to adelaide i think she spoke about adelaide being a little bit kind of the air being a little bit thinner the ball flying through a little bit quicker um but at the same time you know i've got to remember you know her opponent uh chang wong is a dangerous player you know she beat serena she's beaten serena williams at a, a grand slam i don't think coco goff you know would have en- underestimated her i just think ultimately um she's she was wasn't able to to bring it on her day which which feels quite surprising because i don't really associate i mean even at 17 years old I, I feel with coco goff we don't really talk about her like as much about going out in first rounds to you know in in surprise losses i feel like she normally you know, makes the third or fourth round and, and goes out to a, a seeded player where you think, oh, okay, yeah, that's that, you know, that sort that sort of makes sense. She's still only seventeen and she's played ten Grand Slams, which I think is quite <laughs> mad. Um and this is actually the first time she's lost in the first round. So obviously has high standards of herself. Um I think she was saying because she played Adelaide the week before, that was the first time she's played an event in that that week right prior so perhaps she wouldn't do that again but again you know you don't know until you do that and you learn from it and you see how it how it 
works out for you so again you know it's it's all a learning curve she, I still I think of her as being so much older than 17 because she's you know she's been on our radar I guess for like a good three three years now and it's just you know still still mad how young she is so um I don't think she should be too too uh <laughs> panicked about about this loss um I just a couple of other results Joel you know Krachikova came through against Petkovic only lost two games so very comfortable there could have been a bit I, I was expecting the scoreline to be a bit closer I have to say with with Petkovic but you know Krachikova um getting to the Sydney final um the weekend prior um Azarenka through as well um Camilla Georgie through Sakari through uh Benchich as well and Svitolina so uh some potential you know banana skins perhaps avoided there I think we were saying that Svitolina might have had a bit of a tough one against Fiona Ferro but um Second set was a tie break, but it wasn't uh, anything to to worry her too much. Um, so, yeah, I mean, just I think the most bizarre thing that came out of the women's side of things on day one was the Diana Stremska match uh, <laughs> with Madison Brengel. I mean, you you love a sort of scoreline uh, <laughs> story, don't you? A scoreboard story, Joel. And this one was, uh, yeah, epic in, in various ways, wasn't it? Yes, we had Madison Brengel beating Diana Yastremska. 6-1, love 6, 5-love retirement. Um, yeah, it was a very peculiar scoreline. Unfortunately, it's not a scoreline that we don't associate with Yastremska. There have been times before when her opponent has been one game away from winning the match and she's decided to retire. I think she did it against... Mukova in, in Brisbane back in 2019. She also did it against Monica Pui um, in 2018 in Acapulco. Um, but yeah, it was a wild match. Yastrzemski hit 60 unforced errors. Madison Brengel hit one winner, Kim. Um, <laughs> it was it was the stuff of... I think it's the stuff of legend. It's going to be the stuff of legend in the future, this match, because there is just so much going on with the scoreline, the stats... Uh, the players as well. Um, but yeah, for Madison Brengel, yeah, just, um, yeah, I'm I'm sure she'll be a little bit disappointed, yeah, that Jastramska did a, a last-minute retirement as usual, but maybe she probably was expecting it given given the form that she's had um, in the past. I just don't know why Jastramska does it. Like, just just, just walk through, uh, you know, four more points. I mean, seriously, it's it's stupid, really. But if anyone was there watching that live, you must have just been like, what, what on earth is going on? Um, but yeah, not a good look to retire with one game to go. Uh, but <laughs> let's look ahead, Joel, to what's coming up on day three, uh, because we have uh, cool, two Spaniards in action on Rod Laver Arena. We've got Paola Bedosa opening up against Martina Trevisan. And later on, we've got Rafa against Yannick Hamp. Barty sandwiched in the middle there. She's playing an Italian qualifier who I've not heard of, uh, Lucia Bronzetti, I think. Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure Barty's going to lose probably only one game again. Uh, I, I feel like that's going to be an obliteration. <laughs> yeah, I feel sorry also for Mad- Madison Brengel against Naomi Osaka. I just, I think again, Brengel is just going to get blown off the court there. I'd love her to prove me wrong, but that's that's a feeling I get. Um, I think Gael Monfils versus Alexander Bublik on Margaret Court Arena could be quite a fun match, as well as Belinda Bencic versus Amanda Anisimova. I think for me, that is potentially one of the highlights of, of the day because both those players have 
been playing very, very good tennis recently. I think that's more of a round four sort of match than a, a round two match. But, you know, Anna Samova is unseeded. I think Bencic is going to know she's going to be in for a test um, with Anna Samova, given, you know, the way she's been playing recently. So, um, yeah, I'll be interested to see um you know how that gets on and also aslan karatsev how does he how does he recover from playing five five hours on court against Mackenzie mcdonald who you know we, we were there what a few years ago when he played uh you know grigor dimitrov um you know who knows he you know he might spring a surprise it will it'll be interesting to see how fatigued i think karatsev is um and and how well he's recovered from from such an epic against uh you know munar in round one Absolutely. I think um, Sara Cerebus Tormo against Marta Kostuk. Do you think that's going long? We have a habit, don't we, of, of Cerebus Tormo having yep. lengthy matches. Do you think that's going to be a three-setter? I, I, ooh, I'm not sure about that one. I think Pera Pagula could be tight. I think Pera is one of those players on her day. She can upset the odd person. And Pagula seems to be getting embroiled in some long matches of late. And also Azarenka Teichman. Um, Teichman, again, can can really play on her day. So I don't think that's going to be a complete walk in the park for Vika. Um, so I think there's a couple of interesting women's matches. Even Risk Ostapenko, I think uh, Risk has been in pretty decent form of late as well. So um, plenty to get excited about. And obviously, we'll be back in two days to round up everything from the next two days as well. Um, before we finish today, though, Joel, obviously, we have started our collector set for this uh, year's Australian Open. Thank you to everyone who sent in their predictions. Um, we'll send an update round probably on the weekend once we've had a couple of rounds worth of action. Um, but yeah, we, we've done ours as well. So I don't know if you want to reveal your uh, predictions, Joel. Obviously, we yes. had uh, got Rafa <laughs> Alcaraz, Felix Oje Aliasim, Halep Azarenka, and Sviontek in there. So what do you think is going to happen with all of those players? Yes. So I I made these. I made these very late in the day. I made them after Novak Djokovic got uh, got deported. Well, got deported. Was taken out of the draw. So controversially, Kim, you're going to love this. I've got Rafa Nadal winning the Australian Open um I think with Novak Djokovic out of the picture I think that gives him a clear pathway through to the final um so I'm backing Rafa to win I've got Carlos Alcaraz getting to the semi-final um I think he is in that top quarter where Novak Djokovic is so I'm I'm expecting some sort of battle of Spain um in, the, oh, in one of the events is- in one of the men's oh, semi-finals. I would love that. I would love <laughs> and, that. That would be. And, it could be like Rafa Vadasco all over again. Yes. Oh. Oh. Ooh, don't, Rafa, don't tempt Rafa me with won that, that yes. year. That was the year he mm. won. So you never. That know. was one of, uh, one of my oh, favourite matches. That, yeah. Yes, one of my favourite matches of all time. Carlos Alcaraz. He just needs to bring out the uh, the Parata pants. I feel now, and and everything would be everything would be complete. Um, but uh, yeah, I've got Felix Ogier Alisim getting to the quarters. Um, I think he'll lose to Daniel Medvedev. Uh, Simona Hallett, uh, I said it before and I'll say it again. I've got her winning. Um, I think she might beat someone like Ash Barty potentially in the final. Um, uh, Victoria Azarenka got to going to round four. I think she will get to some, get to round four and play and lose maybe to Krachikova. Um, and I've got Iga Sviontek getting to the semi-finals. I think she's playing some very good tennis at the moment. And uh, yeah, I think she'll put a decent run together. 
Yeah, I, I'm in agreement with a few of your uh, predictions, Joe. I haven't been quite so ambitious with the Spaniards um, just because I don't want to tempt fate, although I really <laughs> hope you are correct. Uh, I've gone for quarters with Rafa. I feel Zverev's going to unfortunately get the better of him. Um, I do think Rafa's still got quite a t- tricky draw with the likes of, you know, Karatsev potentially and, and Zverev, but we'll see. Um, Alcaraz, I would love him to beat Berrettini in the third round, but I, I've just gone for Berrettini. Um, Purely because I think last year, Berrettini, the only person that beat him in Grand Slams was Novak Djokovic, which made me sort of think, actually, you know, Novak Djokovic is not in the draw. Like, why would I bet too much against Berrettini as a result of that? Um, Felix have gone round four. Um, I can't remember now who he would be playing in round four, but I obviously (laughs) looked at who it would be and thought, nope. (laughs) Uh, Halep, I've gone round four as well. Um, So... Um, Azarenka also round four. I've got, I do like a round four, don't I? Um, I think I've also got her losing to Krajikova, but Sviontek, I've also gone for the semi finals. So we'll see how they all pan out. Uh, we don't normally do too well on Galacta set ourselves. So, um, we'll see who's going to end up being the winner of that. But, um, yeah, until then, we will be back in two days' time on Thursday evening, UK time to catch up on the second round action from the AO. Yes, listeners, I hope you've enjoyed listening to our round one, round by round catch up of the Australian Open. Remember to subscribe to The Passing Shot on whatever device you listen to us on to make sure you're up to date on all the action at Melbourne Park. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and all good podcasting platforms out there. You can also listen to us on the DownloadTennis.com app. And if you like what you're hearing, then make sure to leave us a rating and comment on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And you can follow us on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Passing Shot Pod. So do give us a like and a follow if you don't already. Uh, you can also email us on PassingShotPod at gmail.com. And don't forget to check out our website as well, www.thepassingshot.co.uk. So we will be back on Thursday for round two, round by round catch up at Passing Shot HQ. So I hope you can join us for that. But in the meantime, it's goodbye from Kim. Goodbye. (laughs) And it's goodbye from me. We will see you again soon.